Hey, if you got a Bible, open it up to Ezra chapter 8 this morning. Ezra chapter 8, we're kicking off a brand new series today. The series is entitled Next Steps, which really only makes sense if you know some of the previous steps. And so let me get us all caught up on the same page. And by the way, I'm going to introduce something today. And some of you might say, wait, I think I missed the memo. When did you start talking about this? Um, We started talking about it today, Okay, So you didn't miss any memo. Uh, There's sometimes there's no reason to give a lot of like, um, you know, forewarning, because then it just freaks us out mentally. And so what I'm springing today, uh, you know, it's fresh, all right? And, and so uh, in this series, again, next steps, we're coming off of uh, some previous steps. And in my mind, those previous steps, I mean, we could trace back like a couple of years, but we're going to go back one year from today. One year from today, uh, Lindsay and I were at home. Uh, August had just been born uh, three days earlier. Uh, that was the last Sunday that I didn't preach. So I think it was like August 9th of uh, 2020. And then that week, uh, I took the week off. I stayed at home and, and um, just kind of worked around the yard and, you know, helped with Reagan and, and all of that. And, and then after that week, I preached again the next Sunday. And I, I preached uh, a sermon that was entitled Faith Over Fear. And then that day, we kicked off 19 days of Faith Over Fear prayers. And so we emailed out those prayers every morning. And and what we were doing is just coming around as a church and saying, uh, we're now going to operate with faith over fear. If you remember a year ago, there was a lot going on in the world. There was a lot of reason for fear. And that led us into then a series in November where we were just making our stance pretty clear on We Believe the Bible. That then led us into January, and on the first sermon this year in January, uh, we talked about how this was going to be a year of discipleship, that a disciple is a follower of Jesus and his teaching, and we're going to spend this year growing in our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, the great year of spiritual growth. At some point, that led us to a a series on prayer. We were talking about inward transformative prayer, and then what came out of that was a few discussions around corporate prayer. Prayer. That brought us into 2 Chronicles chapter 6, the longest extended prayer. And in that prayer, Solomon dedicates the temple and he calls the nation to repentance. He calls the nation back to the good things of God. The spirit of God falls. Everyone's on their face, lying on the ground. Then they get up and they start worshiping. And so we talked about corporate prayer for a couple of weeks that led us into a series where we answered the question, what kind of house will you build for me? We laid out the false houses that we ought not to build. Somewhere in that time, we could sense that God was just moving in our midst. And so uh, we came up with church week. We said, hey, we're going to have church every night for a week. And some of you joined us during that time. And all along, some of you guys have been joining us at different times throughout this last year. I mean, church week, it was a beautiful week. The spirit moved. God was good. And we came out of church week. We wrapped up this series. And here we are this morning. Cool. So that brings us to this moment. And now from this moment, what we're saying is, what are our next steps? Taking all of that into consideration over the last year, what are our next steps as a church family? As a church body, what does God want to do? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to kick off the Next Step series, but we're also going to kick off uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this is where I had a couple people last week. They're like, hey, I I hadn't heard anything about the prayer and fasting until uh, today. And I said, cool, no one else had either. So 
uh, other than our staff members. And so what we're doing is we're, we're launching this today. And what it is, is 21 days where we're just going to focus in on who God is. We're going to focus in on what it is that he wants to do. And we're going to pursue the heart of Christ. Now, in the scriptures, we see fasting all over the place. Okay, we obviously see prayer all over the place, but we see fasting all over the place as well. Let me give you a couple of names of people who fasted or who called for fast. Well, they fasted and then called other people to fast. Moses, Elijah, Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Joel, Jesus, Paul, the apostles, and the early church. It's all over the place. It's all over the place. Now, if you don't know what fasting is, uh, you probably do just simply from like intermittent fasting, which is kind of popular right now as a diet. But fasting is an intentional abstaining from something, typically food, uh, for an intended purpose. Now, spiritual fasting is an abstaining from something so as to pursue the heart of God more. And uh, like I just described, we see fasting all over the place. Now, in those different examples of fasting that I just brought up, we see different types of fasting. Some fasting is reactive. Something happened. Like in Nehemiah, he showed up, he saw all of the sin that was in the nation, and he called a fast as a reaction to the sin that he had seen. And it was a repentant fast. Other fasts in the scripture are proactive. Like the one we're going to study in Ezra, And then the one we see in Esther, which is kind of a, it's a reaction to a proaction, right? Others, um, and then in our fasting study, we also see that some fasting in the scripture is personal. Jesus went out into the, uh, the wilderness by himself. Jesus taught the Pharisees when you fast. And when he was talking about when you fast, he was talking about in a very personal nature, when you fast. Other types of fasting in the scripture. They're not personal, they're corporate. Everybody is participating. The particular fast we're going to look at this morning is in Ezra chapter 8. And uh, as we start down this journey, I want us to be clear that what we're talking about is a corporate proactive fast. A corporate proactive fast. Fast. Now, why it's important to say that is because there's different ideas uh, of fasting presented in the scripture, but not all of the principles apply to the particular type of fast. Let me explain. When Jesus says, when you fast, don't let anybody know, well, if that was true, then what we're doing right here is inappropriate. What was Jesus talking about in that moment? He was talking about an individual private fast. In the scriptures, when it is a corporate fast, everybody knows. You're supposed to tell everyone. In fact, the fasters would often sit out in the middle of the town and they would would wear like different clothing sometimes when they were fasting. They would cry out. They would join as a group. So it wasn't like this private, like just you type of thing. You might do that. You might fast on your own, and that's good, and you ought to do that, and it's a great spiritual discipline, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a corporate, proactive fast. And so what we want to do today is we want to study a corporate, proactive fast, and we find one in Ezra chapter 8. Now, in Ezra chapter 8, a brief context 
some of the Israelites have been allowed to go from Babylon back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. One of their spiritual leaders is a guy by the name of Ezra, and he has been tasked to help and assist this rebuilding process and to give both political and spiritual leadership over the individuals who are returning. And in chapter 8 of his letter, he writes this, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God. Now, I don't expect you to remember this, but the very first point that I made in a sermon in 2021 was, this was back in January, that humility precipitates movement. Humility precipitates movement. At the time, I was talking individually. There's not going to be spiritual transformation in your life until there's humility before God. Humility precipitates movement. Here we now see that corporately, humility precipitates movement. And part of the reason for a fast is it simply humbles ourselves again before an almighty God. Humility precipitates movement. And so Ezra says, we are going to humble ourselves before our God to what? To seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. The context of this story is actually, it's kind of funny. And, and what's going on is that they need to travel from where they were at to where they need to be. But there was a dangerous desert, excuse me, desert between where they were and where they needed to be. And they wanted a safe journey. And the only way, uh, in their mind, there were two ways to have a safe journey. Number one, they got an escort from the king. Number two, uh, they prayed and fasted and God provided the escort. And basically what Ezra says is, well, I was a little nervous to go ask the king because I told him how powerful God was and I didn't want to have to go back to him and say, God is super powerful. But can you send a battalion of your soldiers with us so that we're protected? And because Ezra didn't want to do that, he said, why don't we just pray and fast instead? By the way, he's teaching us a principle that there are things that we can do in the spiritual that affect the practical. That we can actually make a change in the spiritual realm that then affects the practical realm. And so what we're doing in here is believing what Ezra believed, that there are spiritual things that we can do to affect the practical things that we want to see God do. That's why we're entering into this time, these 21 days. And so Ezra then says, well, we need to fast. And so in verse 23, he says this. So we fasted and implored, pleaded, prayed to our God for this, for this. And he listened to our entreaty. Sometimes when you enter a personal fast, you may do so with this mindset and it's okay. God, I don't really know exactly what I'm looking for, but I know that I need something. And so I'm going to step into this. When fasting becomes a spiritual discipline of yours, like something that is consistent uh, in, in your life, you don't go into every fast with this like three point plan. But in corporate proactive fast that we see in the scripture, they don't enter the fast without a specific reason, or the terminology we'll, we'll use is a specific this. This, Ezra said, is why we fasted and pleaded before the Lord. 
Now, when you don't have a specific this, or when you don't have a compelling enough this, then when you are asked uh, to participate in a fast or a prayer, oftentimes then uh, you do it out of ritual. Well, we fast every August, or we fast every January. You do it out of obligation, while everybody else is doing, or you do it out of guilt, like I'm going to feel bad if I'm the only person who's eating a hamburger on this particular day when no one else is doing it, and so I might as well not eat the hamburger. But when you have a compelling this, it changes it. And in Ezra, they had a this, safe journey across the desert. In Esther, they had a very compelling this. If you don't, you'll die. They weren't going to kill the people who didn't fast. They were all going to die. There had been an edict sent out by the king And so they prayed and they fasted for their this, which was their salvation. Their earthly, like, not to be murdered. That was a pretty compelling this. What about us? Can we come up with a compelling enough this that would move us to this type of movement? A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon on the powerless church, and in that sermon on the powerless church, the disciples represent the powerless church, and they're asked to heal a young boy who's possessed by a demon, and they're unable to do it, and they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says, this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. He says, this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And so on that particular Sunday, what I did is I laid out what I believe is the kind that is in deep right now. The kind that is in deep in our culture, the kind that is in deep in many of the people's lives of who we love, the kind that is in deep of people who used to seem to be vibrant in their faith but aren't anymore. And I laid out, this is the kind. And this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. Let me remind you of what I said the kind was uh, uh, six weeks ago. We, culture, have abandoned absolute truth for a progressive model of understanding that has no foundation, consequently creating intellectual anarchy and degrading the moral fabric of society. Said another way, who gets to tell anyone what is right and wrong? Who gets to tell anyone if you can do this or do that? I'm my own God. As society continues this trend, it is producing greater depression, division, and destruction of life. This is the kind that is in deep. And an entrenched enemy who has a kind that is in deep does not want that kind to be uprooted. And an entrenched enemy who has the kind in that deep will do whatever he can to make sure that it stays in. Well, this kind can only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And Ezra teaches us that when we fast as a corporate proactive way, in a corporate proactive way, that we need to have a compelling this. And so we need our this so that we can drive out this kind. See how the scriptures work together? How they lay out a picture for us? How they show us the path to walk? Now, in all of fasting in the scriptures, let me hit this general topic and then I'm going to get more specific. In all scripture, when it uh, circles around fasting, when, it, when it's teaching us what it is, there are three words that seem to be present uh, in fasting. Let me give you the three words. The, the three words are sacrifice, worship, and focus. Sacrifice, worship, and focus. So, 
if we just ask the question, why would I fast at all? Not why would I do a corporate proactive fast, but why would I fast at all? These are three words that, that, that surface in our study of fasting. The first word, sacrifice. There's something about fasting that is an intentional sacrifice. It's a way of saying I'm going to abstain from something, not something that's bad or easy, right? Like if you have a Hulu subscription and you say you're fasting from Netflix, that didn't do you much good, <laughs> right? No, it's sacrificing. I, like David said, I will, I, will, I will not sacrifice something that costs me nothing. King David said that. A fasting is saying, I'm going to abstain from something intentionally so that I develop a love for something that is even better. In this case, it's I'm going to, often I'm going to abstain from food so that my soul will long for Christ, the bread of life, more. I'm going to abstain from something um, and I'm going to abandon worldly love so that I might pursue the one who loves me more. Often in fasting, the idea of repentance surfaces. Why? Because when you begin to abstain from those things and your heart begins to go deeper into looking at Christ, as you gaze at Christ, you begin to understand what is more deeply inside of you that needs to come out. And the more we gaze at Christ or the more we read the scriptures and it's a mirror, it begins to reveal inside of us what Paul says we need to crucify. In fasting, then, we also see a pursuit of worship. We'll see that in Acts chapter 13. We'll look at that passage more. We see Moses going up and engaging with God on the mountain and fasting for 40 days and having an encounter with God that no other human had had up until that moment. That in fasting, then, there's this pursuit of worship, and we ought to just worship while we fast. We ought to worship while we're in these days. We ought to worship in in greater ways and increasing ways, and we'll explain how we're going to do that. That in fasting, what you're doing is you're just intentionally kind of setting aside not bad things, sometimes good things, but you're putting them aside for certain seasons so that you can pursue a greater thing. And then in in fasting, we see focus. Part of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6 about when you fast, part of that is uh, just that you would focus in, that you would set aside distractions and you would focus in on God. In the corporate proactive fast, the focus is pretty simple. Uh, For Ezra, he said, we fasted him for this, for that safe journey. And now I want to give you our this. So yes, during these days, I want... There to be some sacrifice. I want there to be some worship. I want there to be some focus. Specifically, here's what we're focused on in a corporate proactive fast. Uh, To go to the text, this would be like saying in Ezra chapter 8, so we fasted and implored our God for blank. Here's our blank. Here's our this. Let me read the whole thing, and then I'll come back. God... May we be bold in our stand for truth. May we be forged together as church friends and family, increasing in biblical knowledge, effective in training the next generation, and in reaching our city. This is why we're fasting. This is why we're setting aside 21 days to pursue God, to sacrifice and to worship and to focus in on something that we think is more important, more valuable and a more worthy pursuit than all of the other things that we count valuable and that we pursue. That you can't enter into these types of moments without having a values crisis, 
without saying, what is it that I most deeply treasure? What is it that is the greatest pursuit of my heart? Part of what we talked about a few weeks ago is that when God begins to stir in his church, one of the ways he does that or one of the signs that he is doing that is people begin to have a heightened sense of awareness of the great spiritual need that exists in the world, that exists around them. And we're trying to put language to the, uh, we're trying to put language to the, uh, uh, that which we believe, the prayer and fasting that is required in order to uproot the kind that is in deep. Here's the language. God, may we be bold in our stand for truth. That as culture and even some elements of the church have grown increasingly weak in their stand for truth, that we instead would be bold and our stand for it, not backing down for a moment in our deep-seated belief that the scriptures are true, that it is only the truth that sets you free, and that all of the despair, the division, the death, the destruction that the kind brings, that this and this alone is the solution. That as everything else outside of scripture wants to portray that scripture is not the solution, but everything else is the solution, that we get increasingly bold in our belief and in our stand for what is true, that we hold the gospel of love, that we have the good news for a hurting world, and that it is found on these pages, that it is found in the story of Christ and his sacrificial love on the cross like the church in Acts, that we pray for an increased boldness, that we have great clarity around what is true. I joked around a couple weeks ago when I told you I had made a Facebook statement. It was actually that kind statement. I wrote that on my Facebook, and somebody um, who I had at former times considered a partner in the gospel wrote on my statement, but Stephen, how do you define truth? And I didn't respond because I never respond to Facebook comments. Okay, so if you make a comment on my Facebook and I don't respond, it's not because I don't love you. It's because I don't respond to Facebook comments, okay? Just a good rule to have in life. He said, Stephen, how do you define truth? Well, what's the clear answer to that? I don't. It's not mine to define. It's God's to define. He defines truth. That's the whole problem is that people think they can ask the question, how do you define truth? I don't. I let him do it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He wrote the book, not me. That's, truth has already been defined, right? It's already been defined. So God, may we be bold in our stand for truth, and maybe we be wise in how we communicate it. That's the first reason. Why else are we fasting? So that we might be forged together as church friends and family. That in an increasing congregation, in a growing church body, where there are more of us who are coming from different backgrounds in different areas, and then where some of us are coming in, and what we're doing is we're seeing people that we've known from previous life, and we're looking, and what can happen is little circles can get formed, and little circles can get formed over here, and over there, and over there, and this group, and that group, and this group, and her group, and his group, and it can't be his group, and her group, and this group, and that group forever. We have to be one group. 
And yes, we are a post-denominational church that um, centers around and builds ourselves around core doctrine that we are deeply committed to because we believe it is the unequivocal truth of Scripture. But And some of us come to church with different methods in our background and other little things that surface, and we're saying, I'm willing to abandon some of those preferences for the sake of unity. And now we're praying, God, would you forge this body together? Would you unite us together? Would you forge us into church family and friends? You're like, why did you use both words? I'm like, well, because sometimes you like your friends more, okay? <laughs> right? But you also need family who's true family. I have a little catechism that I walk with Reagan through, and the last one is families stick together, right? And so friends and family. Like part of what needs to be released in our church is, is just friendship, us getting to know each other. We call them church friends. Us just getting to know each other better and better and, and kind of bridging the incredible gap of this row versus that row, right? And that God would bring and forge friendship. But also then that deep down inside, we would have an unyielding commitment of family to each other. Family stick together, right? And that during these days, that what God would do is he would forge us together in friendship and family, Next, that we would be increasing in our biblical knowledge, that we would grow in um, both our understanding and our appetite for Scripture, that we would begin to long for it and, and crave it. Jesus compares it to, uh, as food is to the body, so, so, uh, so Scripture is to the soul. David says, I delight in the law of the Lord. I meditate on it day and night that we would long for these scriptures and that we would know them. Paul writes it this way, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, that we would richly understand the scriptures, that we would build our lives upon it, that we would study it and read it and talk about it more and more and more and more, and that we would grow in our knowledge and that as we grow in the knowledge of scripture, it would not do what Paul warns us against in second, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, that it would just puff us up. No, but that that it would be knowledge that would play itself out in love and that we would increase in our knowledge of Scripture. Because if the kind that is in deep is a lack of understanding of truth, then the opposition to that kind, the thing that will uproot that kind, is the truth, which means we must know it which means we must know the scriptures. They must, be, they must come off our tongue. They must be in our mind. They must be deeply planted in our souls. And we have plans for this that we'll lay out. But we're fasting to that end. We're fasting to the end of effective, uh, being effective in training the next generation. Two weeks from today, um, we're going to do baby dedications up here. And we're going to dedicate uh, the younger children in our church. And uh, in that moment, we, we take a moment not just to do a dedication, but to remind ourselves of the essential need that we have as a church family to train up children in the way of Christ. Now, this is a, not just the paid professionals in the back or the volunteers who like kids, right? That this is all of us. 
that it is the, uh, that each and every one of us have a responsibility in facilitating uh, the, uh, the, the growth uh, and the environment for children and teens to grow up so that every kid who walks through our church and spends extended periods of time in our church will know what they believe and why they believe it and how to defend why they believe what they believe. So when the kind attacks them, the moment they step on that campus, they can take out the Bible and smack them a little bit. Okay? Lovingly. And so we're praying that, Lord, you would make us effective in this training and that you would make us effective in knowing how best to do it that you would rise people up who should be a part of it, that you would equip those who have already been tasked with it to know exactly how to do it, and that we would grow increasingly effective. As I've shared with you before, Lindsay and I know the product of the environment that which we grew up in, which in big part allows us to do what we get to do today, and how dare us then create an environment that could never foster that type of growth in a kid by throwing out all of the programs and all of the systems and all of the things that were in place for us that the church has in many ways abandoned over the last 20 years or so. That instituting these things back in is what is needed to raise up a generation of people who know their scriptures. And it is not true that every person who knows their Bible is spiritually mature, but it is very true that those who are spiritually mature know their scriptures. And so knowing the scriptures is a good start to maturity. Now, in that then, next line is this, and in reaching our city, that we would become effective in reaching our city that we would know how best to communicate the gospel in the city that we're in, that we would know best how to reach people who are far from Christ, that we would have an increasing boldness and an increasing ability to share the hope that we have in Christ, that we would become better and better in seeing people come to Christ, seeing the apathetic become awake again, seeing the lost become found, seeing the mature who are not doing anything become motivated again to engage in the gospel. And to this and then, I will read it again. God, may we be bold in our stand for truth, forged together as church friends and family, increasing in biblical knowledge, effective in training the, ne the next generation, and in reaching our city. To this end, I'll fast. To this end, this seems worthy of some sacrifice, some worship, and some focus. To this end, it seems like abstaining from something of the world for a short season is worth to see a spiritual work so that the practical work that these things point to can happen. That if the kind really is in that deep and the only way the kind can be driven out is through prayer and fasting. And as a corporate church, we are proactively then wanting to drive the kind out. Then this is the motivation to participate in the very thing that Jesus says will drive the kind out prayer and fasting. And so this statement, which you will see everywhere for the next 21 days, is why we pray and why we fast. Now in a prayer and fasting season, you might ask yourself, but what do I do? Well, fair question. Acts chapter 13 explains this to us a little bit. In Acts chapter 13 verses 2 and 3, we see another corporate proactive fast. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, by the way, when we spend time in corporate prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit begins to communicate us in clearer ways. He begins to say things that we had not yet heard. He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now I could show you other passages of scripture, but there's a pretty clear connection in the scriptures to fasting and praying. In fact, it's always assumed that although every fast, every prayer, uh, excuse me, doesn't involve a fast, every fast involves a prayer. And so the first thing we do during these 21 days is we pray. We pray and we pray and we pray. Some of you are like, well, I don't exactly know what that looks like. Well, that's okay. I want to help you. So we got five ways for you to engage in this, in these 21 days in prayer. The first one is daily prayers. Daily prayers. And so I've written 21 daily prayers that are going to hit your inbox one at a time every morning at 5 a.m. The only way to get that is to sign up for our daily dig. You can do that on our website at experienceredemption.com. And I know some of you are like, I filled it out before and I don't get it. Why do you hate me? I don't hate you. Google or Squarespace or somebody does, okay? Put in a different email address. We have zero control over this. Got it? Okay. It's on the website. Put your email in or check your spam filter, okay? Satan loves to use the spam filter. So go get it back, okay? So every morning, 5 a.m., you're going to get a prayer. I encourage you to pray it and to read the verse and then to follow the prompts in the prayer to be a little different than the daily dig has looked. And we'll be praying it together. Not all of us at 5 a.m., but we'll be praying it together. That's the first one. Second thing then is this a um, weekly 24-hour focus time of fasting and praying. And so I'm going to encourage everyone to fast for one 24-hour period a day. By the way, some of you are like, oh, man, I got to take a lot of notes right now. No, you don't, because we have the internet. It's beautiful. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to get an email with all of this. Okay, you're allowed to take notes if you want. But you're going to get an email with all of this. Um, it'll be on Facebook every morning, the prayer. But there's also, we, we created a web page on our website, experienceredemption.com. It says 21 days of prayer and fasting. And everything that I've talked about is right there on the site, okay? And, and so it's all right there for you. Um, so you can go find it. And in some of the challenges I'm gonna get to later, there's a PDF that we wrote that is on there. Uh, and so you just get the PDF and just follow right along, okay? Um, because I know that it's not just talking about what we do, it's, it's helping us all do it together, okay? So number two, anyway, weekly 24-hour fast, all right? So pick a day. Um, I'm gonna do Thursday if you wanna partner with me and join with me um, every Thursday just for the next, next three weeks, okay? 21 days, three Thursdays. Number three, a weekly prayer meeting. And so every Thursday at noon, we're going to be right here. The auditorium is going to be open and we're going to get together and we're going to pray kind of like we did uh, during church week. Okay. Where we, we open up the church building every, every day at noon. And so we're going to pray every Thursday uh, for uh, an hour or so at noon. And anyone who wants to join us can come pray with us then. Number four. Okay. Um, we're going to do a church night and extended fast. Okay, because part of what you do when you're doing this is you pray and you worship. And so this Friday night, uh, we're going to uh, have our worship night, and uh, we start at 6.30, and we're going to do a 48-hour fast into it. And so 24-hour fast, uh, you, you finish eating dinner, uh, and then 24 hours later, you can eat again. 
okay? Uh, in, in a 48-hour fast, you finish eating dinner, and then about 48 hours later. Now, here's the deal. We're not going to, like, play this down to the minute and all of that kind of stuff, okay? Like, you know, I mean, if you're that kind of personality, you can do that. I am that type of personality, okay? And, and so it's like if I slip up, I mean, eat a Tic Tac. It's like, dang it, I have to start over now, okay? So just, like, you, you can make your own rules, okay? Um, but so that's the basic idea, though. We're going to do a 48-hour fast, we're going to, then in the 48-hour fast, we'll have a worship night. And if you've never fasted into a worship night, I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's a powerful thing. So we'll pray this Thursday at noon, okay? And then we'll, we'll just keep praying, and we're fasting, we're praying, and we're fasting, we're praying, and we're fasting. And then we're going to gather Friday night. We're going to worship together. We're going to have a church night, and we're going to see how God wants to move, Okay? And I'm calling it a church night because we're, we're just going to kind of run it similar to the church nights that we did. I probably won't teach quite as long, okay? But we're just going to have a time in the Lord Friday night. That's number, that's number three. Nope, that's number four. Then number five, prayer challenges, okay? Now, these are kind of fun. Came up with some of these. And some of you like to be challenged, and so we're going to challenge you, okay? And some of you are like, I don't like to be challenged, and I didn't come to church to be challenged. And, well... I don't know. There's a lot of other churches. Just go there, okay? All right? Um, some of you have been like, you have, to tell, you have to stop telling people to leave, <laughs> okay? Um, number one, five prayer challenges. Number one, pray for an hour without distraction. Pray for an hour without distraction. That means put your phone away. Put your watch away. Pray for an hour without distraction. And here's what's going to happen. Minute seven, okay, you're going to go, what am I doing right now? At minute 23, you're going to remember your laundry, okay? If you keep going, by minute 37, you're going to experience a calming and a peace. And by minute 52, you're going to be crying. Or the Holy Spirit's going to start doing something. I used to run these little retreats with high school students. We'd go up to a friend's cottage, and we'd run it, and we'd do the hour prayer. And no matter what students I took up there, the same thing happened every time. At five minutes, one kid was sleeping out for the entire hour, okay? <laughs> we know we're whole spend eternity. I'm kidding. Okay, that was a joke. That was a joke. Okay, all right. Um, so one kid would fall asleep, but then at some point in time, it's almost like you could just sense in the room this calm. And someone would, would just begin to, to tear up, and it'd usually be somebody you didn't expect. Because the last time they had given just an hour of focused time to the Lord, well, it was probably never. So that's challenge number one. And by the way, we're not just going to have you walk into this hour with like, what do I do? There's a, there's a document on the website. Just pull it up. You can work your way through that if you need assistance through the process. Things to pray for. Number two, you're going to walk the grounds of the church for 30 minutes praying. There's all sorts of scripture on why this is a good idea. There's all sorts of scripture on what we can do in the spiritual when we begin to just walk a territory. Some guy wrote a whole book about it. Okay, not God, like a, a real human. Not that God's not real, but you know what I'm saying. Okay. Um, sometimes you just have to stop talking. So... There's a lot of spiritual principles on, on why we walk when we pray and why we walk at grounds. 
And so we've created a, a, another one where you can just begin to walk and there'll be people around walking and, and we'll just make it easy this week when you're here and you don't want anyone to talk to you because you're doing your 30 minute prayer walk or your prayer minute, just look at somebody and say, hey, I'm going number two. Okay, this is number two. You just let me go. Okay. It's the only joke I had today. I had to use it. Okay. Um, and so walk, walk the, walk the grounds, go outside, walk the perimeter, of the, uh, you know, you don't have to walk through the cornfield if you don't want to, okay? You can walk the non-cornfield grounds. If you want to walk the cornfield, that's on you, okay? Um, but we're going to walk, and we're going to pray. We're just going to fill, Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. And so we're just going to pray. And over the next 21 days, I would encourage you, get here and pray. Number three, pray for 20 minutes, three times in one day, morning, afternoon, and evening. This is just a different type of discipline that you would set certain times throughout a day, uh, give yourself a period and do it. I would say with the same um, lack of distraction and the same focus as the one-hour prayer, just up, broken up over three different segments in a day. Number four, this one's going to mess some of you up. I like it. Number four, um, that you would host or attend a house prayer meeting, that you would eat dinner and then grab some people around and say, hey, in, instead of you know, playing Catan or playing Azul, which I love Catan and I love Azul and I love beating you guys in Catan and Azul, that instead you would stop and you would say, hey, let's pray. Let's pray. And some of you are like, no, this is an advanced level of Christianity that I didn't sign up for. No, this is, this is, this is Christianity. This is it at the basic level. The church and fellow believers getting together and praying with each other and praying for one another. My house will be called the house of prayer, Jesus said, right? And so, so inviting some people over to dinner and saying, okay, well, we got done eating dinner. This is awkward. What do we do next? We usually, you know, do whatever you do. And looking around and saying, hey, let's just, let's pray. Let's sit around and let's pray together. So now, if, by the way, if I invite you to dinner over the next 21 days, <laughs> you know what's coming, okay? You've been warned. Right? I told Lindsay we're just going to do this every day. And then she said, no, we're not. I said, okay, we'll do it a couple times. Um, and we're going to pray together. By the way, this is connected back to the forging us together as friends and family because something supernatural will happen in your friendships and in your spiritual relationships when you begin to pray with people. It's just the way it is. I know all of you are going to be super suspect when everyone invites you over over the next 21 days. But that's okay. And we have a, a document for this as well, okay? And by the way, let me just throw you out some rules when you're doing that kind of public praying. Here are the rules. Number one, not everyone has to pray. Rule number two, everyone should pray. Rule number three, you're allowed to pray more than once. Rule number four, your prayer doesn't have to be super long, okay? Like, like just start talking to God with each other. There's lots to pray for. And maybe what you do at the end then, or if you don't know, if you get paused, you say, why don't we just stop and pray for each other? And just put one person in the middle and let everyone pray for him. I'm telling you, things will begin to happen. You could do this as a family, okay? You could do this as a married couple. Things will begin to happen that have not happened in a very long time. So that's challenge number four. I called them challenges because some of you like to rise to a challenge. Number five, then, is do numbers one through three with a spouse or a friend. So walk the grounds with a friend. Walk the grounds with a life group. Pray for an hour without distraction with a friend. 
pray for 20 minutes three times in one day with your spouse or something. And so here, these are just clear ways for us to begin to grow in this. And so the first thing we're gonna do, we're going to pray. The second thing we're gonna do, right, uh, like we see here in the Acts passage is we're going to worship. We're gonna worship. And so we're gonna have the worship night on Friday and we're gonna see how that goes and we're gonna worship, of course, on next Sunday and then we're gonna worship the Sunday after that. And that, that'll be the last time, uh, you know, a corporate gathering during the 21 days unless God tells us to do something else over these next 21 days, okay? And maybe that'll be, and already the staff is freaking out because like, what might that look like? I don't know, okay? Um, but we'll see. And we're, so we're gonna pray and then we're gonna worship. That's what we're gonna do. And the third thing we're gonna do is exactly what they did at the end. They laid their hands on them and then they sent them off. The third thing we're gonna do is we're gonna go because the whole reason that you do this prayer fasting is not just to sit around, but it is to go somewhere and to do something, okay? So then we're going to go, and we're going to go exactly as God has called us to go to do what we can do to accomplish the this that he has given us to do and to pray for. Now, let me tell you what to expect in a fast. Let me tell you as you enter in this, I'm going to preempt some things so that you might understand. The first thing that we can expect in a fast is this. There will be opposition, there will be opposition. There is always spiritual opposition in the scriptures in a fast. There's always going to be opposition. In Nehemiah, we see a keen type of opposition that is very common in corporate proactive fast, and that is when lies begin to surface. We see this all over Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah begins to be accused of things. Uh, the, the group of people that are uh, trying to rebuild, their motives start to get questioned, and the enemy just tries to use lies to derail what is going on. And so let me just tell you, over the next 21 days, the likelihood of you hearing something false um, is, is probably highly likely that the enemy will try to use whatever tactic, and he's going to probably use this one, even though I'm naming it out loud, to try to begin to derail what's going on, to use lies to destroy. So that's something you can expect in a fast. Second thing you can expect in a fast is, a, is temptation. We see this with Jesus, that as he was individually fasting, temptation came up. And I know you're like, this was a corporate fast. It is a corporate fast, but you're going to be by yourself for a lot of it, Right? We're not all going to be like in town hall like they were in the Old Testament where they were all literally fasting together. And so temptation is going to arise. Now, that some of that temptation might be the sin that has tripped you up for a long time. That might arise. But another temptation that we see arise up during a fast is where Satan tries to get us to hold on to good things instead of the great things that God has for us. And so in a fast, what Satan will do is he'll go to Jesus and say, hey, do you want to be an earthly king? Stop what you're doing. But God didn't have an earthly kingdom for Christ. God had an eternal kingdom that was greater than any earthly kingdom that would ever exist. And so Jesus kept going. And so during a fast, what could happen is, is things could surface up and you could say, okay, no, maybe this seems right or maybe this seems good. And God is saying, but I have more. Keep pressing in. And so I'm just telling you right now, these two things will happen in a fast. They will emerge. Opposition and temptation. Secondly, secondly, as in not like the second thing, because I already told you two things, but the second way or the second type of expectation is that which is good. So let me tell you what will happen in a fast. And we'll end here. In Isaiah chapter 58, the author, which is Isaiah, lays out the good that happens in a fast. And so as we enter into a fast, we also need to expect this. 
Let me start in verse six. On your screen, it's gonna start in verse eight, but I'm gonna start in verse six. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What Isaiah is setting up here is that when you begin to fast and pray in these ways, when you have a proactive fast that is exactly the type of fast that God has called us to, to oppose the kind that is in deep, that the first thing that you can begin to expect is that the bonds of wickedness will begin to be loosed. What that means is that there can be a releasing of righteousness and holiness that surfaces back up in you that you haven't sensed in a while, that even though you're participating in a corporate thing, that God through his supernatural power can do a personal thing inside of you. And I know that during this, there might be this idea that you want to go into the personal and say, okay, I know we're on a corporate proactive fast, but God, I got a little side project here that I want to work on with you. Here would be my encouragement for you. You focus on the corporate and you let God begin to work the personal in you underneath the radar. And in this, I think what will begin to happen is that the bonds and the straps of the yoke and the oppressed will begin to be set free. That religious spirit can be snapped and broken and that God begins to do something. And in verse 8, he says, and then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. That during a corporate fast like this, what begins to happen is that the dawn of new things begins to emerge. That light begins to break into the darkness. Like we talked about a year ago, right? We began to just pray that faith would rise up over fear and things began to happen. I was talking to one of our staff members, Jamie, and she was talking about, she was trying to realign again uh, when they showed up because she was remembering when God had clearly healed her a year ago and we read that testimony up on stage because God began to move and we were just praying. We weren't even fasting then. There's a guy in our church who um, got a, uh, a cancer count about uh, six weeks ago that was so outrageous and over the charts that I was seriously wondering how long he was going to make it. He went to the doctor two weeks ago, and the count went from outrageous to how outrageous it is that it has gone down this much. Okay? Listen. When you, when we begin to fast and pray and pursue the heart of God in this way, there will be movement. Verse 12, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Some things that have been torn down in the past can even be rebuilt through these types of days. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. The work we're doing is not just for the present, it is also for the future. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. In other words, you make a place where people then can begin to congregate, a place that looks like a city or a home. We grow and then expand our ability to welcome people in and to find what they need to find in the gospel here. That's what happens, and that's what we can expect. 
Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, where all of this began kind of unintentionally a few months ago, I said that one of the things that was important about that passage is that Solomon called all of the people to come and pray. And so what I'm asking in all of this is that all of us would participate. That humility precipitates movement and that we would humble ourselves and begin to participate and to begin to pray boldly and effectively and powerfully for our this. And I didn't end with this, so let me end it now. God, may we be bold in our stand for truth, forged together as church, friends, and family, increasing in biblical knowledge, effective in training the next generation, and in reaching our city. Lord, bring revival. And maybe some of you are like, I thought we were done using the word revival because isn't that what we did during church week? No, that was to revival what a forward is to a book. Okay? That was a seed going into the ground, not the tree coming out of it. We're not at the end of a race now saying, that was really good. Let's take a seat now, kind of relax, maybe do a few stretches, and then I'll pick it back up in a few months. No, where we're at right now is all of that was a little bit of training, and now we're standing, I believe, at the beginning of the race. And what we're going to do is do the spiritual preparation that we need to through prayer and fasting over the next 21 days so that following those 21 days, uh, the next journey of our time together as a church can begin. The race will commence, and we'll run it as hard as we can for the next year. That's where we're at. And so we're going to go into this with all of the spiritual preparation that we need to do it well. And it starts, it starts right now, 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, when you get that first prayer and all of us begin to do so together. Would you stand with me in prayer? God, I believe we stand at the beginning of the next season for our church. And we want to usher it in correctly. Not in our own strength, not in our own power. Not in our own ideas. And the great thing about you being in charge is that whenever you speak, we can just move and we don't have to hold our things so tightly. And so I invite you, Father, to lead us. I ask you, I beg you over these next 21 days. And Father, I know that there are many things going on in individual lives here in this body. And so I am praying that as we corporately pursue something, that you would be faithful to individually work things out that need to be worked out in people's lives. that you would loosen chains, that you would break things free, that you would bring forth repentance, that you would make things happen underneath. And Father, I pray that these days would be full of joy like they were with Esther and the Israelite people after they received their freedom and salvation. They just poured out in joy. And Father, I pray that all that we have asked for and all that we will be asking for in these 21 days would come to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.